0: It's hard to think that I could talk about anything other than Thanksgiving, right? And um, all I have to do is find the right text. So, uh, in God's gracious providence, as uh, Chris Presso sent me uh, the last four years of uh, Thanksgiving Day services, I discovered that Stephen Coleman had preached on Psalm 138, four years ago, and I thought, oh, that's a good thing to work on because, you see, the word thank shows up in it three times. I'm looking for a text other than a familiar one to work on for you. Now, before I read the text, a couple of brief words about gratitude. If you read in the beginning of the book of Romans about fallenness of mankind you discover that the word thanks shows up very quickly people actually do subliminally recognize that there's a God out there bigger than them but they Failed to honor him as God and give him thanks. That's a top indictment against us, fallen sinners, that we are not grateful. Think about two people equally successful in their chosen field. And one is quite confident of their ability, their accomplishments, and they have about them a kind of an air of success, superiority. And the other one is, yes, confident in his success, but with a humility that recognizes that his success, her success, is not because of their own hard work, but it's because of the gifts given them, of the innate abilities, of the teachers, of the uh, circumstances. Which Which of those two personalities is more attractive? Which of those two personalities do you like better? Well, what about God? Let me read my text. And you may turn, if you wish, to the text. It's on page 521 in the Pew Bible. And by the way, you don't have to read as I read. I often don't, as the preacher reads, but you can keep the Bible open there to that so that when he starts talking, then you can look. Okay, Psalm 138 of David. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I will sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, is endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. The three things in this text I want to point to you briefly this morning. One, number one, the exuberance, the determination, the boldness, the intensity of the thanksgiving of the psalmist. Two, his vision for that kind of thanksgiving to spread elsewhere. Three, his confidence that God's mercy will continue for him. Okay, the first one. Now you can look at the text if you want. I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Love the Lord your God with all your mind and strength and heart. Everything you have. I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I will sing I sing your praise before the gods. Now that is strange. Before the gods. It's the same actually the same word as the word that we translate God. What's going on here? Could it possibly mean other people in high places? There are places in the text, the old testament text, where gods is applied to kings. And other authorities. Or you could do what the ancient uh, Greek translation did. You could say, before the angels, I sing praise. Well, we don't really know. But my guess is, because of the significance of that word before, that what this intense Thanksgiving psalmist is doing, is he's attempting to... Go in boldly into places where thanksgiving to the Lord God would not be welcome and make it known there. We may have an incident in um, Holy Scripture that would illuminate this. Early in David's monarchy, right after All the northern tribes had made him king. He'd been king for seven years in Judea and over Benjamin. Uh, And then uh, all the rest of them came. They got tired of the warfare and they all came and said, you be our king. And the Philistines heard about that and they came to uh, attack him because they had known about his strength earlier and now that he had all of the tribes of Israel behind him, they thought, now's the time, we got to get him, And you can read about this in 2 Samuel 5. And uh, there was a great victory. David asked the Lord what to do, and the Lord gave him instructions. And he says, uh, the Lord has burst out against my enemies. And so the place was called the place of bursting out. And the Philistines left their idol gods there. Could it be that David, in the exuberation, the thanksgiving that he had right after that victory, he went out into the fields where these idols were lying around and he said, thank you, Yahweh God, for giving me this victory over the people that, these, that worship these idols. For us, how might it work? There are other idols in our lives, are there not? Other attractive ideologies that might take place, the place of God and we're to go into that context and we're to express our commitment and thanksgiving, our gratitude to the true and living God. Anyway, this is one of the evidences of the intensity, the exuberance of his gratitude that he's doing it in the presence of these other gods. Now, why... Is he so exuberant? Verse 3 tells us, and this of course is where I got the sermon text, the as, as, as homily title from. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. Uh, more literally, I, I called, you answered, you made me to be bold in the strength of my soul. Now there's something interesting about that. There's no clear evidence that the circumstances were changed directly, immediately by God. What was changed? What was changed? David. David was emboldened. Uh, can you remember in the early days of the church in Jerusalem? As they were put under, the apostles were put under uh, duress, and uh, some of them were imprisoned uh, by the Jewish authorities, and they went to God in prayer. And uh, what God did was embolden them, and they went out, and they fearlessly continued to preach the resurrected Savior in the midst of uh, the prohibition of the religious authorities. And what did the religious authorities do? They acknowledged their boldness. That's one of the ways God answers prayer, by giving us strength of soul, boldness. The second thing here, this exuberant thanksgiving psalmist has a vision. His vision is that others will come and give thanks. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks. Now when we read kings here, for us in recent history, there's relatively few kings. But if you go back and far enough in, in human history, you know, there's a king over a little every hamlet almost. Uh, kings are just the local leaders. And um, what he's doing is he's saying, I want many others to come. And give thanks to this true and living God. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. Why? Because they've heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. They've heard the words of your mouth. Now that takes us back to my first uh, point here. Heard the words of your mouth. There's an interesting phrase here at the end of verse 2. For you, that is God, have exalted above all things your name and your word. What does that mean? The way it's written here, I sort of like it. God actually exalts his reputation, his name. He exalts his word, his promises. His explanation of the way things are that we read in the scriptures. You've exalted above all things your name and your word. But that's actually not what the Hebrew text is saying. The RSV and the ESV have thrown in an extra little uh, vav consecutive, a little and. Because what the text actually says is You have exalted above all your name your word. What could that mean? And uh, my favorite commentator, uh, Eric Motier, who uh, uh, is very stubborn when it comes to to conjectural emendations of the Hebrew text. Eric Motier says, well, he was so exuberant. He just said... God, you just outdid yourself. I've heard of your glory. I've heard of your, your power. I've heard of your, uh, of, of your love and your uh, faithfulness. But what you just did for me, it just blows me away. It overdoes everything. Well, that's how Motir is apparently suggesting we do it. In other words... The, the Word of God is exalted. Now, come a thousand years later after David. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and tented among us. And we have beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten, full of grace and truth, full of love and faithfulness. Did God overdo? Did he exalt his word? Now, I don't see how the ancients could have interpreted it that way, but can we? And that's actually how some of the Puritans interpreted it before the uh, prospect of um, modifying the text was as popular as it is today. Well, uh, Stephen picked a tough psalm. Uh, I don't know why. Um, I, I would be very interested to see how Stephen handled that. <laughs> I, uh, but what this exuberant, thanksgiving uh, psalmist is doing is he's saying, I want the kings to hear about this word. That has been exalted. They will sing of the ways. They've heard the word of your mouth. And they will sing of it. And then they've seen the glory. Verse 5. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. Now, the glory of the Lord, we often think of in terms of magnificence, in terms of overarching power, in terms of splendid majesty? Is that the glory that the uh, Apostle John was talking about and we beheld his glory? No, they didn't see very often majesty. Sometimes the, the veil was rent back and they did see the majesty of Jesus, like on the Mount of Transfiguration. But mostly they saw the one who was called the man of sorrows. Is that the glory of the Lord? For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. The glory of God is not just the splendor, the power up there but the glory of God is preeminently revealed in holy scripture as he condescends to fallen human sinners and lifts them up so in Isaiah 57 we read about the guy the God who lives in a high and holy place but also with him who is of a contrite heart a lowly heart think about the gospel isn't that What the gospel is telling us that the glory of God is revealed in the saving of unworthy sinners. One by one. Turning them into grateful saints. Turning them into people who will bring him glory. My third point here is about the Uh, psalmist is, his confidence. His confidence. And uh, this is verse 7 through 8. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you give me life, preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand delivers me. And then we have this other word. uh, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. That jumped out to me after I was reading the King James for a long time and then I started reading the NIV and I thought, why didn't I see that before? Well, the reason is because it wasn't in the King James. The word purpose was not there. It's simply, the Lord will fulfill for me. I'm sure that it's appropriate to put in the word purpose there. That's the right, I'm, I'm pretty confident that's the right interpretation to put on it. Why was it left out? Perhaps because of his exuberance. By the way, there's other stuff left out too. In verse 1 it says, I give thanks to you, O Lord. That's not in the text. (laughs) It's not in the Hebrew text. It wasn't in the the King James. The exuberance. He just started praising, thanking. Um, And I'm sure he's talking to the Lord. But... uh, What I want to say is this is precious. The Lord will fulfill for his saints. He will accomplish for his saints. And obviously his purpose is what he'll accomplish. You see, King David, long ago, had sort of anticipated the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That creates thankful hearts. Now, I will admit a mistake, a mistake typical of preachers. I made my outline the intensity of the thanksgiving, his vision for others to join in thanksgiving, and his confidence that this, kind, this same God will keep. I made my outline about what? The human subject. Now, why is that a mistake? Is the Bible about humans or about God? Ultimately. Of course, it's about the interaction between human and God. But I'm going to correct that mistake right now. And I'm going to give you three points about God to end this homily. Number one. God answers prayer. God solicits prayer. God gives himself glory by answering prayer. God answers prayer. Number two. God will exalt his own steadfast love and faithfulness. God will exalt himself by keeping his word. This goes back to verse 2. You've exalted above all uh, your name, your word. He will exalt his hesit. In the Lord Jesus, we see the steadfast love, the committed love of God. In the Lord Jesus, we see the truthfulness, the faithfulness of God to his word in sending the Lord Jesus. Number three, God is at work in this fallen world amongst redeemed sinners. He will fulfill. He will accomplish. He will bring to completion for you what he has started. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, how we praise you that you're this kind of a God who condescends to the lowly. Make us lowly in order that you might lift us up. And then make us grateful that we might spread your praises around this world. In the name of our Savior and for his glory we come. Amen.